Welcome to In the Envelope, a podcast from Backstage, the number one resource for actors and talent seekers. I am your host, Jack Smart, awards editor at Backstage, and I'm here to guide you through every aspect of the entertainment industry with the help of some of your favorite stars. These intimate, inspirational conversations with today's most award-worthy film, television, and theater artists provide you, dear listener, advice on how to live the creative life, personal stories of success and failure alike, and maybe, just maybe, a tantalizing glimpse in the envelope. I hate plot. Yeah, I don't like storylines. Hate it. Yeah, I don't like story structure. Just let me play with a person. No, I hate when the character learns. I hate all of them. them change. Yeah. <laughs> Brianna, how are you? I'm doing really well. How are you? I'm doing okay. We are in the home stretch of our Emmys Phase One podcast episodes, and I'm so excited to have you here today to help me introduce our two guests. This is our first ever joint interview on In the Envelope. Anna Fabrega and Julio Torres are the are the voices you just heard, listeners. Brianna, could you maybe just give us a crash course in like who they are? because some listeners may not know about Los Espookies. Yeah, Los Espookies is, is a really, really wonderful show. It, what I love about it, I think, I believe it's HBO's first, HBO Main. Um, obviously, they have HBO Latino, but um, it is HBO ah. Main's first ever Spanish language comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's 30-minute comedy. It's got such great performances, such great writing. Um, the costumes are incredible. We actually yes. spoke to the costume designer along with Julio, who interviewed her. Um, yes, and on the slate. On the slate, which is our um, on-camera interview series that we kicked off <laughs> during quarantine. Mm-hmm. Um, and that actually has been doing really well. And we've decided to to kind of keep that going, which is awesome. Um, yeah. So please, yeah, absolutely. Please check out Los Spookies if you haven't already, um, because I really do think it's some of the most interesting television that's being made. Um, Completely. For those of you guys have no idea what the show's about, it's about a group <laughs> of friends in this sort of like un- nondescript uh, Latin American country who yeah. are all in love with like horror, all things horror and gore. And so they figure out that they can like make a living (laughs) by creating all of these really insane, very B minus movie level horror. Totally. (laughs) Yeah. B horror movie. Yeah. B horror movie. C D depending. (laughs) Completely. Yeah, 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 yeah. I did sort of ask Julio and Anna about like, are there inspirations for this or did anything inspire these characters? And they were like, there's nothing really like it. So no. (laughs) I mean, it's also cool because then you have like Lauren Michaels and Fred Armisen on as executive producers. And it just, it makes it so that it kind of lends this, like like you just, like you said to these characters, these sort of like bigger names that people might recognize. And so Mm -hmm. you can take a look at and and say, oh, you know, I know Fred Armisen. And I feel like a lot of people tuned in because of that, because he also stars, but he plays this, to your point, this really quirky sort of uncle who's like a valet driver. (laughs) He's a valet driver, right? And isn't his, um, 
his passion is valet driving or it's like his, yes. his greatest skill it's his greatest yeah. love <laughs> i hope that gives listeners who haven't seen this show like a kind of an inkling of what this is because yeah. it is hard to explain it is a really it is it's, it's true like what you said it's not something that i had ever seen on television before yeah julio torres plays a chocolate heir he's like the heir to a chocolate yes. empire <laughs> yes <laughs> he's very absurd too he's very deadpan yes yes um and anna plays tati who is uh, very spacey, I would say, but oh, very, yeah. um, I don't know how to describe her at all, actually. She's a go-getter. She, I feel like that first she's episode... She's a go-getter. She's a little, um, I don't know. I don't want to say airheaded. <laughs> head in the clouds. She's a little head in the clouds. She's definitely head in the clouds. She's yeah, very, uh, she she moves to her own <laughs> There it rhythm. is. She totally. She really does. Yeah, it's a really good example of of what a world can look like when you really draw these characters really, really mm. clearly. Highly recommended. Please check out Los Spookies. <laughs> yes. So what else has been going on at Backstage since the last time we spoke, which you are so perfectly bookending this, this series of podcast episodes uh, for the 2020 Emmys Phase 1 nominating period, because you joined us for our Elle Fanning episode. Every guest we've had since Elle Fanning is Emmy eligible. And I encourage listeners to go back and listen. And if you're an Emmy voter, nominate them. (laughs) Yeah. But um, what's been going on at Backstage since Elle Fanning? Uh, So as I mentioned earlier, the slate is still going strong. Again, it was like a quarantine project that we we started. Uh, We really wanted to be able to make sure that Backstage readers and Backstage users were still feeling like they had a place to come to, to continue learning, to continue Mm. to sort of expand um, there, there are different approaches to career because we were in such turmoil. There was nothing going on. Filming had all but stopped all over the United States. So we really wanted to make yeah. sure that there was something that we could kind of say, like, no, you can still stay engaged. You can still hear from these amazing people. You can kind of gather your sort of tools for when things do come back. You're prepared right. and you feel like inspired still. And you're not, you know, sinking into the sort of sadness. <laughs> Totally. Like it's hearing from these people and kind of hearing from them in a new, in a fresh new context, Mm -hmm. I think. For sure. So that's, that's been happening. It's been really great. We've gotten some really awesome people on there. We've had Ricky Gervais. We've had Matt Bomer. We've had Rose Byrne, Anthony Anderson, who you spoke to. Mm -hmm. um, And he was really great. Yeah, friend of the podcast, friend of backstage. Um, Friend of backstage. Yeah. We go back to our old favorites a lot, don't we? We do. I mean, (laughs) why not? And then thankfully, we've started to see a little bit of a lift in, in sort of the number of casting notices as, as states start to open up. So it's been a nice way to sort of balance <laughs> the sort of madness that everything is right now. Yeah. Um, making sure that we're still pushing casting notices where they are. And then also, again, keeping actors engaged with with the craft and with the with the artistry yeah. and also the business of it all. So actors need to actors and artists need to kind of stay updated on those things. So, yeah, updated. And I really do think staying inspired in a creative space is so, yeah. so important. And I really some of the conversations that we've had have been so amazing for that. Even if it's just checking in with a favorite actor of yours and knowing that they're doing okay in quarantine or not, or not okay. <laughs> yeah, that's been a huge thing too of people just saying, you know, quarantine's been really hard and you feel a little less alone yeah. when you hear yeah. someone say that. Stars are just like us. <laughs> they're just like us. Totally. Totally. And um, that reminds me, the Julio and Anna interview, just so listeners know, it was recorded uh, over a month ago, I would say. So we are in the interview, you'll hear us kind of addressing 
quarantine in a way that suggests we are we are all still um, adjusting to the new normal. I mean, I don't know about you, Brianna. I'm still adjusting to this new normal. Absolutely. I feel every day I discover a new uh, coping mechanism. Yes. <laughs> I didn't know that I needed. Wow. Yeah, it's it's tough. The ground keeps shifting under our feet. So I'm glad that Backstage is still producing content, if only as a, as a constant. Yeah. So we will be linking to that Slate piece from Julio. We will also, in every episode description, reminder, listeners, we list to, uh, we link to our backstage casting notices. We link to the Slate, the tag page for the Slate, and we also list to our constantly updated article that lists a bunch of resources where you can join backstage in supporting the Black Lives Matter movement. Absolutely. Am I missing anything, Brianna? No, I think that's that sums it up. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jack. I will talk to you later. Goodbye. This episode is brought to you by HBO's The Outsider, a drama so under your skin terrifying I do not recommend watching it alone, in the dark, like I did. Based on Stephen King's best-selling novel, The Outsider begins with a seemingly straightforward investigation into a boy's gruesome murder until an insidious supernatural force edges its way into the case, leading a seasoned cop and an unorthodox investigator to question everything they believe. Dubbed by critics as undeniably gripping and instantly riveting, and starring the truly sensational Jason Bateman, Ben Mendelsohn, recent friend of the podcast Cynthia Erivo, and more, The Outsider is Emmy-eligible for Outstanding Drama Series and all other categories. Fabrega and Julio Torres are the co-creators and stars, along with Fred Armisen, of HBO's Los Espookies, a comedy set somewhere in Latin America following a group of friends who launch a business specializing in supernatural horror services. Anna starred on and wrote for The Chris Gethard Show and is featured on At Home with Amy Sedaris, and Julio served as a writer on Saturday Night Live and last year released the HBO special My Favorite Shapes. Here is our joint interview with Anna Fabrega and Julio Torres. This is Backstage's In the Envelope podcast, and we welcome Julio and Anna. As you're both writers, is there, are you guys still in writing mode right now? Um, I've gone in and out of it. I think, mm. you know, the idea that because you write on your own, it's, it's so easy and what a great time to write, but it's not at all conducive to creativity to be sitting in your apartment all day. Right. Um, so I feel like I'll have like waves where I feel like writing and I'll write a bit and then I'll go like two weeks without writing anything. And it just, it's kind of all over the place. I stopped trying to like put pressure on myself to, to, to write right now if I didn't feel like it. I, I felt that way the first like two and a half to three weeks. Um, and now I, I sort of like successfully uh, turned into a, a robot and I'm just like programmed to do <laughs> my code is so strict and like I, I I wake up I have breakfast I work out then I waste time on my phone then I come to my little office and then I have my office hours and I write and then I eat again uh and then I watch one movie and then I sleep and it's been that <laughs> for like over a month and I'm really thriving <laughs> in in uh, 
uh, within my, my limits. Like, I don't even leave my, like, the last time I physically left my apartment was a week ago. I think I'm just sort of like, wild. oh, no, I am, like, in a spaceship, and they'll let us know when we arrive. Is that a sign of going crazy, or is this to, to prevent you from going crazy? I think it's sort of like, um, I feel like I used to be this way. I used to be very disciplined, and then I, like, comedy happened, and then... I gave myself more allowances to just have like very flex mm-hmm. days. And now I'm back to sort of like being a little robot, which I kind of like. And like Anna, like you said, is there an expectation like with Shakespeare writing King Lear during a plague? Is that a similar thing now? Where's like, your King Lear? Every writer should be writing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually Queen Lear. Uh. Um, <laughs> um, I, you know, I, I think if people want to put that pressure on themselves and if, mm. and it feels organic, then great. But if not, then you don't have to. Right. Um, you can't. Yeah. You just can't. Like, like comedians, I think like a lot of them, and now I'm talking about not strictly writers, but like writer performers feel this pressure to, mm-hmm. okay, Instagram, uh, this is my moment now. Create content. <laughs> I yeah. will go viral today. <laughs> <laughs> And it's like, oh, what a weird little hell to like <laughs> trap yourself in. And it still feels like it's all too soon to tell, right? Like, I mean, Julio, it's amazing you have this routine. <laughs> Is but what you said about the spaceship? No, we don't. Is we don't know when the spaceship's gonna but land. We know it'll get there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I also the other thing is that Anna and I, and I'm, I suspect the, most of the people you talk to have this luxury of not not actually having to work right now. Mm-hmm. we're a minority in terms of that. like imagine having mm-hmm. the pressure of having to make money like uh, to like pay for your groceries right now like i think like oh my god if this thing had happened a few years ago oh god yeah. you know like oh no like two roommates like little craigslist jobs and like this happens I'm like I think I'm very lucky that this happened at a time where I have an apartment that has more than one room. <laughs> and and mm-hmm. just, you know, totally. if I write, I write. And if I don't, I don't. That's actually a brilliant transition because, of course, I want to ask you guys about your kind of beginnings in the comedy world and your beginnings as writers and maybe your, your training or quote-unquote training. But first of all, how did you two meet originally? We went through... Um like a mutual friend initially when, when we were in school, we went to different schools, but we had the friend in common and, um, and then we didn't become like real friends until I started doing standup. Julio was already doing standup and he hosted a show around the corner from my apartment and I started going Hmm. and then, uh, eventually started, you know, going to mics and, and that's how we became better friends. Um, those were, I feel like, extremely, like, formative moments, at least to me, of just like, oh, okay, I'm, like, part of this community now. I like uh, meeting people who yeah. are doing, like, if not similar, then at least, like, uh, uh, compatible work. And, mm-hmm. and you feel like a part of a, a community, and, and which is, I feel like, sort of... A lot of people have like a similar moment in their lives with like a with like a school, like a I don't know, or whatever. But like mm-hmm. the uh, that sort of like back of bar open mic world show, like little show, was like that to us. I feel like. And how has the goal changed? I mean, for both of you, was 
was stand up the weight in and then how did it become more in the kind of writing original obviously we'll get to los spookies but was having an hbo show that was co-created by you guys ever a part of the early vision no yeah i really like when i started performing i had no end goal in sight i was just like i want to perform i like writing gotcha. and stand-up allows me to do both and it's fun i had a day job and i was like you know, just happy to, like Julio said, like find community and, and find a place to, to perform and to share, you know, my sense of humor. I, to me, it was, uh, I, I like, I always liked writing. Um, and I never liked performing. And then I started doing stand up because that was sort of the only way I found to showcase my writing where I didn't have to do like rely on anyone else or know anyone or pay anyone because it's just like mm -hmm. something that's available to anyone that lives in New York. You could just walk to a, an open mic and perform. And so to me, it was like, well, I guess if, if I have to like physically say it, <laughs> uh, then I, I guess I'll, I'll do that. Like performing was just like, okay, I, since I don't, I don't know actors, <laughs> so I'll do it. And then I started really falling in love with it and, with, with like performing stand-up and then it became more than means to an end like something that I really enjoy doing but my goal was always mm -hmm. like write shows and movies and stand-up felt like the easiest way in that is now I don't, I don't I don't consider it a bridge anymore I consider it sort of like my like the umbrella for for the things that I see and neither of you um, before Los Spookies it's is it safe to say neither of you had really dug into the work of creating a character and like acted with a scripted role to that extent? To the extent that we did on Los Spookies? No, I think we, I mean, we both had done like little acting things here and there, but, right. and written things. I mean, when you're doing standup, at least for the kind of stuff I do on stage, I'm like, a lot of it is like character type mm -hmm. of stuff. So I was used to like developing someone in that capacity um but i'd never done it from scratch with the intention of it being for somebody else because i'd always written for myself to perform and and then los spookies was like um you know how how do i write something that i don't perform and let someone interpret it in their own way to me it was uh, completely the other way around because i like anna uh transitions from voice to voice when she's performing I have only ever been me <laughs> um, and, mm. but I have written for other people a lot and I really enjoy it. And uh, I, 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 I love that. I love working with actors. And so then for me with Los Spookies, the challenge was sort of completely the other way around of being like, Oh Christ, now I have to memorize lines. Um, and my character's acting is, Minimal, and that's because that's what I can <laughs> give. Uh, <laughs> that is the extent <laughs> of the range um, that I can show. Uh, because to me, it's like, well, you know, whatever. But like, look at all these other wonderful characters I help write. Yeah. That's really cool. And how did the process, I mean, just describe to us, how did this come about? I know that this was a joint effort with Fred Armisen. Yeah, Fred had come to us uh, separately to ask if we wanted to help develop this idea he had 
and and it was like a loose idea he had some kind of characters in mind and a premise for a pilot in mind and then we the three of us like developed it into what became the pilot but yeah fred approached us separately not knowing that we were good friends oh okay. yeah and um anna had met fred before and had done a couple of short videos with him um i had only really met him in mm -hmm. passing by, by virtue of working at snl at the time and mm -hmm. uh yeah fred had this idea and he sort of like independently knew each other and like Anna and I, I don't think had any ever considered working together. Um, we, we we liked each other's work, mm -hmm. but like liking somebody's work does not mean that you're gonna you know be good collaborators. But I think we were lucky that we really are. <laughs> yeah, because I love yeah. <laughs> so many of my friends' work, but I don't know that I would be able to do what I do with Anna with many people. Because oh yeah, my god, me too. Yeah, that those periods of like um, performing. Uh, in like little shows it is also like so many mm. failed experiments and collaboration <laughs> <At least>. yeah <laughs> it's, it's like okay you know i will remain a, a distant fan of this person uh but with, with anna it's both and that's lucky yeah i ask so many questions about advice on this podcast and it's so delightful to talk to writers because it's fun to ask people about the process of collaborating. And I'm wondering like, what is it that made you two click in that way? Like you're saying, as opposed to just because you like somebody's work does not mean you're going to be compatible as, as co-creators. I mean, first of all, like, you know, Fred Armisen asks if you want to do a show with him and another person, and I'm going to, I'm not going to speak for Anna, but I would have said yes. <laughs> as a yeah. Most especially at the time when he asked. But uh, the reason why the show became a show, I feel like it's because we 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 were compatible. Again, again, it was it was lucky because so many writing jobs necessitate you to like be in rooms with other writers, and you know it's that like connectivity is there like like ten percent of the time. I feel like. Yeah, I mean, I think that like the fact that Fred wanted us specifically already kind of meant like, you know, we all had something in common. Mm -hmm. And even though you and I hadn't worked together before, as soon as we started and it was really easy, it was like, Oh yeah. Like we do very different things individually, but we think a lot of the same stuff is funny. And so if, if one of us has like, you know, an idea for something, the other one can always expand on it. And, and we just go from there. And Fred, I don't think, is the kind of person who would ever, ever, ever think of collaborating with anyone who is not sort of thinking in the same frequency. Like, mm -hmm. he would, mm -hmm. like, yeah, the show, his idea for a show is to have a Spanish-language show, and at the time it was supposed to be set in Mexico, but his criteria for seeing who would be into collaborating with him on it wasn't just like, oh, it's just fine, like, comedians who know Spanish. Jennifer Lopez. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to ask J-Lo. But Tati's going to wear a J-Lo inspired costume because that's oh, sort yeah. of part of the world of the, of the show. Yeah. And was this always HBO? Yes. Yeah. By the time we were I, I know that Fred, I don't actually know the specifics of it, but I know that he definitely did the whole like shopping around. Okay. 
Because I was going to say, is there a specific approach? Like, does HBO, does that provide certain parameters? Like, oh, it's HBO. That means it's what prestige. It can be, it can be wild. It can be racy. Like, what element of the HBO thing inspired the writing process? None on my end. Yeah, same. I mean, because HBO, for as many you know wonderful shows as they've made, they've also made bad shows. Every network can make a bad sure. show. I think we yeah. could have gone <laughs> either way. Um, and I think that what I really enjoy about working with HBO on the show, especially like on the first season was that their notes to us were, even though I think early on in the writing process, they were like, Oh my God, what is this show? And a little worried (laughs) that they never said like, you have to change it. They just said, how can we make what you have and what you want to do? Yeah. Um, that that I think is the, the big blessing of working, of creating a show with HBO. And I have never created a show with anyone else. Uh, but I have a lot of friends who have, and they have such trust in the creators of the show. So I was never worried or I was never made to feel worried that anything that we wrote was too odd or too out there or too explained. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so it, it came with yeah. a lot of, with a lot of artistic freedom and trust. And it's, tr- it's really true that there's nothing else like it on, on television. And I wanted to ask like, what are the, in- are there influences? Can you guys name any inspirations for the characters, for the story, for the world of Los Spookies? I feel like it's very piecemealed with like different things that we find funny. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely not trying to emulate anything that we've seen. Because my least favorite thing, oh my God, is like when you feel that a TV show, that a television writer is only informed by television. <laughs> oh my God. Oh. Yeah. Uh, you know what drives me crazy? When I see someone on TV behave in a way that only people on TV behave like. Like, like I was thinking, yeah. Anna, just like when, like the trope of going, of like someone saying something and the other person going like, that's it. You're a genius. What? Like, what? 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 Yeah. You, you're like, ah, oh, thank you. And then that person walked out. Like, what is yeah. that? What? Like, never, never has a human being. Yeah done that and yet, like if there's so many examples of that it's so many or like the whole like oh she left a toothbrush in your apartment huh you know what that means right Uh-oh. oh <laughs> it's like what when is like friends era trope going to die uh, it's almost like a tv tradition yeah yeah, um, yeah. but anyway to, to your question i think that we both anna and i hold on to people that we've met that we find odd and funny and intriguing Mm -hmm. and those sort of end up becoming characters in Los Spookies. Uh, I think that there's there's a playfulness to this show that is sort of informed a little by like magical realism and that it doesn't Mm. care about the rules of the world. It doesn't bother explaining the world. Mm. It just just allows you to like go go down the stream of it. I don't know, Anna, can you think of, like, an influence that... I mean, not really. It's mostly, like, I think we write a lot from with characters in mind, and then the stories kind of follow, rather than here's a story we love and let's find out the characters. And so it was a lot of, like, especially when we first started writing at the pilot, like, we kind of had in mind the types of characters that we wanted to play ourselves. And, Mm. um, and, And there are things that, like, 
you know, we find funny. And, you know, I think anyone that has seen, you know, like special and sees the show is like, oh yeah, of course that like, this is the type of character that Julio is going to play. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think vice versa, people that know, you know, my like stand up style would understand why I'm playing that type of character. And so I think, yeah, that there's not necessarily like, oh, you know, the three of us were these are huge fans of whatever show and we wanted to do mm-hmm. our version of that show. I think it was just like, here's the kind of, you know, we've been influenced, like Lewis said, by like people and, and let's plug those people into like, I don't know, the, the universe. That's so cool. It's, it's that you're inspired by these crazy weird people or those ideas that, that then get put into characters and the plot is almost secondary to that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I hate plot. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I don't I, like storylines. I hate it. Yeah. I don't like story structure. <laughs> yeah, I don't like, I'm like, just no. let me play with a person. No, I hate <laughs> when the character learns. I hate, this episode of the podcast is brought to you by His Dark Materials, the new drama from HBO based on author Philip Pullman's beloved trilogy. If you're a fan of the books, trust me, this series is a gorgeous, engrossing adaptation. The story follows Lyra, a brave young woman from another world, on a quest to find her kidnapped friend and uncovering a secret organization's sinister plot along the way. EW hails the series as thoughtful and adventurous, and they are right. Consider His Dark Materials, which is Emmy-eligible for Outstanding Drama Series, and all other categories. I don't even remember which of you it was, but in some interview, one of you said that the other two main actors on the show were asking about their characters and their, their characters' motivation, and they wanted like a clear arc, and you guys are more just like, it's a joke. It's just a joke. <laughs> yeah. Can you play I think that? The both of us who right? said that. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, like, we are super lucky to have Bernardo and Cassandra playing these roles, and they're approaching it from a very like obviously they're actors, right? They're they're not they're not mm-hmm. writer performers. Right. They're not actor comedians. They're they're actors, capital A, period. And mm-hmm. it was a bit of a learning experience that they thrived mm-hmm. in to go into this world and understand how the people in this world behave um, because the rules are, are different. I think Cassandra, who plays Ursula, sort of like a light bulb went into her head. Mm. And one time she goes like, oh, in this world, there's just no consequences. Like, like oh. cause she's, she's like, I can say something mean Something, someone can say something mean in front of me and I won't necessarily carry that <laughs> to the people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's sort of like a cartoon almost. Mm. Um, you know, when I was a kid, I, I remember thinking now, like, there are sh- cartoons where if someone gets run over, they go to a hospital and have to recover. But there are some cartoons where if someone gets run over, they just sort of inflate themselves and carry on with their day. Right. Mm-hmm. And just sort of like learning those rules, I think, for an actor is difficult and very special, especially coming into this show. Yeah, where, where I think that like you and I, if we're looking at a script, like we're looking at it from, you know, we understand the jokes. And when we 
are just playing to the joke versus them thinking like, but why is my character saying this? Why am I acting like this? And for us, it's like, well, it's just funny that you're doing that. <laughs> and, yeah. and I mean, there were times <laughs> where I was just making stuff up when they would ask me about the, the, you know, motivation. I'm like, <laughs> Oh, you know, think about this and this, but really it's like, it's just a joke, but like, I need to help you kind of, make sense of why mm -hmm. that's funny so sure let's like get into what's happening emotionally right now with this yeah. character yeah sure i mean i i love a serious actor um because i think it's the the type of work that actually we, that we both write is thrives with earnest performances i feel like um if there's no wink to the camera if uh the person mm -hmm. like deeply believes it. Absolutely. So when I've worked with act, I, 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 I prefer working with actors and working with comedians. Mm. Yeah. So the, the whole, like, so, so like the work that you, that we have to do to it, I think it's, it's worth it. Cause I don't, I don't know that I would have liked having other two standups playing those roles. I agree. I don't think the show would work if, if it didn't have, if everyone else wasn't like straight up actors. And I think that like the, the people that we have on the show who are comedians who are friends of ours, like Lorelai and Greta, for example, that play Sonia and ambassador Melanie Gibbons um, work in the show because they're very good at playing these people in a way that feels yeah. real rather than like a sketch. Yes. Mm. Yeah. It doesn't feel, I think uh, like a lot of comedians when they act, it feels like sketch. Yeah. And, and, I, and that just doesn't work outside of the context of sketch right. comedy. They're different styles, right. Mm -hmm. Was there anything that you guys learned maybe as actors or maybe even as writers from these other capital A actors? Oh, me so much. Um, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, I just truly, truly, truly so much. Because again, like acting is not my my thing. I never saw myself as an actor. Uh, mm -hmm. And I can attest to the fact that I regretted writing myself into the show every day. Uh, <laughs> but I think I meshed well with like Cassandra, especially, and she um, she's very sensitive, and she she always has. We we've had a lot of like little like sidebar talks where she she's immensely helpful. Like when I like stumble with a line, for example, and instead of me like, again, like being a little robot looking at the line over and over and over again and malfunctioning at the same mm. word, <laughs> she should just be like something so obvious as like, well, where, what is the most important word in this sentence? And it's like, mm. okay, well, focus, like get to that. Like those are your anchors. And it's just like, oh, okay. Like that's, that's helpful. And also just like, mm. just like also watching Bernardo and Anna and Cassandra act and be like, oh, I see. So they're acting even when they're not talking. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, oh, 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 yeah. I like, yeah. Tati is still Tati even when she's not saying a Tati line. God. <laughs> <laughs> Which I know it sounds like a joke, but it's really not. Like, I, um, I've really learned a lot from just watching good actors act. Yeah, and there's also, I mean, especially with Ronaldo and Cassandra, like those characters are are not like as kind of slapstick funny as like that be or as like absurd as Andres. And I'm like, I could not play a character like that well because I can't like I can't act well enough to act like that. And when 
like there are so many times when, when we were working where I would see like Bernardo or Cassandra in a scene and it's like, oh my God, yes, that was like exactly like, that was perfect. And I could have never thought that that was how it should have been performed. And they like, I don't know, they just have this like really amazing ability to like get into character in yeah. a very, I don't want to say serious way, but it just like, it, it's such a different like, approach to performing that i really admire there's a there's a scene in the um the second season that we're sort of in limbo with um <laughs> where uh bernardo who plays ronaldo reaches someone else after running for a little bit and he's out of breath by the time that he gets to this other person and like between every take he would like jump up and down to get himself tired and out of breath and when i saw it, i was like oh jesus christ like of course i know <laughs> like, never in a million years would i have thought to like, get myself out of breath so i actually like convincingly look tired because i'm not actually running a mile i'm running like you know four feet or whatever it's just like oh christ like this is why this is why you're an actor <laughs> yeah <laughs> And like you guys are saying, it's the earnestness. It's, it's just like, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, taking it really seriously as opposed to a winky wink sketch style of like comedy. Yeah. There's a difference between delivering a joke knowingly, I guess, and then delivering a joke that's more like I am in, I, me as the character does not know this is a joke. Yeah, I prefer yeah. it when actually whenever to sort of like all departments involved in the actors and, and uh, directors and color correctors and like every everyone involved in the show, I think that mm-hmm. I like them to sort of delete the word comedy from their mind mm-hmm. and yeah. do as earnestly beautiful work <laughs> as they can because that's what's going to make it funny. Yeah, like I wonder if when we worked on the first season, like had everyone understood it? Because a lot of people on the production crew and actors like did not understand what was going on. And it wasn't until they saw it that they were like, oh, okay, I get it now. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it worked to our benefit because if everyone had been like, oh, let me see how funny I can make, you know, my set decorations or my wardrobe Mm -hmm. or my, you know, whatever, like it would have gone way too over the top. Right. And like you guys are saying, the world of Los Spookies is not something that like you guys sat down to iron out every single rule of how everything works in that world. Right. No. And that way it's unlimited. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. This is fascinating. This is so cool (laughs) because I love hearing about like the origins of where a story comes from, but also then how it's executed. And of course, like for a show like Los Spookies, it's actually really helpful to hear everyone involved in acting in it has to, you know, they're taking it deadly seriously. It's almost like they're acting like in a drama drama, even though it's yeah. Yeah. Come yeah, because it is, it is only funny if someone is upset when you believe that they're upset mm. as opposed to mm-hmm. funny upset. We want to believe the characters. Yeah. yeah. Fabulous. Oh my gosh. Okay. This is amazing. We always ask a lot of questions about advice and as you are both writers and also comedians, I have lots of advice questions for you, but I did want to zero in on one thing, which is social media, because you're both very adept at like, I mean, you were joking about creating content in the time of quarantine or whatever, but long before quarantine, you're both making really hilarious videos or even just really funny like Instagrams and tweets. What is your advice for like maybe someone who wants to be in the comedy world or who wants to like experiment with their comedy and using like the platforms that are available to us all. 
I think if if the uh, any of those platforms suit what you want to do, then do it. But don't try to make no. yourself like make a bunch of videos if that's not what you yeah. want to do. We know mm-hmm. so many very very talented, funny comedians who have zero social media presence because they don't. Mm-hmm. That's not what they mm-hmm. do. I see it as like a room to experiment in, like a mm-hmm. like a playpen. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Because because I'm not a YouTuber, I'm not a TikToker, I'm not a an Instagram comedian whose job is to deliver content to subscribers. I I mm-hmm. you know I'm just sort of me, and if I have like a funny little thing, I like oh okay, like maybe like like I I, I use it to experiment. So it's, it, it, it's yeah. like it's. It's only worth it for me if it's productive, not like I'm delivering a service. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that you don't you don't need to force anything. Mm-hmm. And if you have an idea that works well as a tweet, tweet it. If it works better, like as a video, shoot it. If it only seems to work live, just do it on stage. Yeah. I mean, there's so much stuff that like, you know, I've tried on stage that I had recorded as a video and it didn't work or, you know, mm-hmm. vice versa. And it just like, you know, it's just a, a way to figure out a medium or figure out the right medium for what you're trying to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I don't think anyone should aspire. I mean, especially in quarantine, the amount of like right. people just churning out videos. I'm like, you don't have to do that. Nobody has to do that. And it's not, like sure some people maybe now are like more popular because of it but like Mm. it's not the only way to get uh your work seen Mm. yeah also does your work have to be seen yeah (laughs) who who are you like writing and performing for totally yeah these days it, it really we're all sort of having to ask ourselves like why or who is this for if i make something do i really want it out there and you're saying don't force it yeah. Yeah. It has to come organically from you, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Just And also just enjoy that the stakes are so low. I know. It's like social media like, doesn't matter. Oh, <laughs> so, sure. like, so you don't have to, you know, that's why, like, when we were said that there's plenty of people that are, like, really great comedians or writers or actors or whatever who aren't online, and they're still working. So it's it's not a... I think people think that like you need to have uh, active social media presence, otherwise people will uh, forget like, about you. I gotta post but... this at noon or whatever. Like, yeah. Oh, God, what a life. <laughs> <laughs> That's not part of your robotic daily schedule. No, like being like, oh, okay, so people are at their lunch breaks right now. Good, it's prime time for liking. <laughs> like, oh, what hell? There's something gross about yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. Well, th- you guys, thank you. This is so awesome. Well, we have these like not quite rapid fire, but we have these last questions that I like to ask. One is, first of all, how did you get your SAG card? I, I mean, I think Julio and I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we both similarly were like just doing like, you know, little gigs here and there and then got a thing in the mail being like, you have to pay and you have to join the union. And I was like, okay. what is this? I like, I didn't I know. Like, I have to pay. Anything what? Excuse me. I have to pay $4,000 on my $700 yeah. gig. It, yeah. That should be proportional to what the actor is making. That is insane. You know, someone gets like a giant Hollywood movie and has to pay the same entry fee as someone who had two lines as a waiter. Uh, in- yeah. Um, to me, it was like a little bureaucratic step that I that I, I was told I had to take. <laughs> I, don't, right. I don't really romanticize it. No. Yeah. yeah. Right. 
Yeah, I feel like for some, it is not a romantic big break, like breakthrough. It's it's paperwork. Yeah, mm -hmm. like, and this is like, okay, so there's taxes, there's this, mm -hmm. there's like- They send a new card like every three months. I'm like, why do I need so many they do? Like, I haven't changed my address. I don't know where those cards are going. Yeah. <laughs> okay, what is one performance every actor should see and why? Oh. Any performance hmm. film, oh, TV. You know, you know what performance has, <laughs> has stayed with me since I saw it? The- the live-action Winnie the Pooh performance. Oh my god! Uh, Pooh's performance in that film is in, in <laughs> compelling <laughs> and beautiful, and it and it and it just shakes you to the core. The the earnestness of Pooh. Mm -hmm. I'm just very compelled by. I, I I realized this the other day that it's like if it's a an AI, a hologram, mm -hmm. a ghost or like any sort of robot like i i really like latch on to those like i think that like scarlett johansson's voice in her is brilliant yes because it's so human and it's a performance without a body yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. i feel like those are the kinds of performances that i like yeah i mean i i'm tr like the first thing that came to mind when you said it was uh julianne moore in safe but i think that's yeah. just because i like watched it a month ago uh -huh. um but I don't know. I also like the other things that come to mind that are like not at all. I think the right answer are in a lot of the uh, of Miyazaki's movies. There's like a little animal that's a sidekick. I love those. <laughs> those are like my favorite little performances. Yes. Yeah, there's like a yeah. There's always like a dozen of them in every movie. Yeah, and those those go a long way. You don't realize it, but totally. Um, yeah, I I don't know. I think, I think this is the kind of question that later I'll go. Oh, I should have said this yeah. this role. But for now, yeah. I'll say no, that's Julianne Moore and safe. It's true that I mean, yeah, you can you can, right you can be inspired by by anything, including AI and cartoons and and real people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Last last question. What is one piece of advice that you would give your younger self if you could go back in time? I mean, I, I think I would just tell myself, keep doing what you're doing, mm -hmm. which, um, you know, when I started performing and I didn't really have any sort of end goal in sight, nor did I know that people aspired to get, you know, writing jobs from stand up. Like the more I learned kind of how the industry worked and the more sort of pressure I felt that like oh I'm not working or I'm not doing this or that yet like I just kept kind of thinking like well I'm having a lot of fun doing stand-up and that's great and I have my day job and I'm paying my bills so I'm mm -hmm. fine and then eventually like other things came you know uh from that and so I think to my younger self and to like anyone I would just mm -hmm. say keep doing what you're doing mm -hmm. yeah same for me like just like a it's fine you're doing fine keep going Mm -hmm. but also look into those overdrafting fees because they're piling up. <laughs> just look at, look, just download the app already. Yeah. <laughs> That's great advice. Oh my gosh. Julio, Anna, thank you guys so much. This was really, really wonderful. Thank you. Um, I knew it would be great to talk to you guys. Do you have any, like, any parting words of wisdom for our listeners? Wash, Wash your hands. Your hands. Uh, yeah, yes. just yeah. warm out. I wash my hands anytime before I type. Yeah. Really? <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. 
<laughs> yeah, just because it's warm out doesn't mean that you chill with your friends. Uh, other word of advice. Uh, also, just like creatively, if it's not fun, stop doing it. Yeah, and and just do things because you enjoy them, not because you think you have to do them or you think it'll help you get something bigger. It's like you should be enjoying what you're doing at all times. Wonderful. What a perfect note to end on. Wonderful. Thank you, guys. Thank you. In the Envelope is recorded at Lotus Productions and Hyperbolic Audio in New York City and Soundbox LA, Mark Grau Studios, and Buzzies in Los Angeles. Thanks as always to our producer extraordinaire, Jamie Muffet, and to the team at Backstage, Samantha Sherlock, Mark Stinson, Caitlin Watkins, and of course, Casey Howe. Visit Backstage.com and don't forget, you can subscribe to Backstage by using the code ENVELOPE at checkout for a free trial. That's right, 100% free. For more exclusive content, join us on Facebook and Twitter at In The Envelope and subscribe, share, and leave a comment. Would you like us to interview next? Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time for another glimpse in the envelope.